Uh, children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. Uh, we have some flowers for moms and for uh, if, if kids. Make sure you grab a flower for your mom and bring it to her when uh, Praise Factory is over. And if you're a mom and your kid's not here to bring you a flower, you can take one. And if you are a lady and you want a flower, you can have a flower. So... Um, we are. Uh, we just. We feel like giving out some flowers today. Uh, we're going to read the scriptures. Um, if you turn to to First Samuel, woo, a little loud there. Good, thank you. First um, Samuel chapter two, starting in in verse one. We're going to read the first eleven verses. We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, to consider God's word. The scripture says this in First Samuel two. And Hannah prayed and said, "My heart exalts in the Lord." My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven children, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, that's Hannah's husband, went home to Ramah, and the boy that's Samuel, Hannah's son, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning uh, from different places, from different experiences. We come uh, to church on Mother's Day with different experiences, perhaps some frustrated perhaps some joyous and honored, uh, perhaps grieving, perhaps feeling the absence of children. But Lord, we come with the blessing in common that, that we were all given life and that we all have a mom. And Father, we all play a part as believers in the rearing, the raising up of of another generation of believers, 
of participating together in the family that you are building in the church. And so, Father, we pray this morning as we gather that we would be careful to hear your word and to not say, this just applies to moms, or, or, or this doesn't apply to me, or I'll never get to take part in that, or I had my opportunity at my children and, and it did not go well, or it went well and now what do I do? But I pray that we would hear your word and say, there is more to be done. There is always something to be done until Christ comes. Father, we pray that that as, as our respect for authority flows from that commandment to honor father and mother and all authority is built out from those relationships, we pray that, that we would learn diligently how to care and how to honor those who have authority. We pray that we would show great respect and love for those in authority, starting with our parents and today, starting with our moms. And we pray, Lord, that you would heal broken hearts, that you would encourage joyous hearts. And we pray that in our country, a country which is, is, is running off of its foundations, and we see moral decline and struggle all around us, we pray that you would help us return to the basics, the first foundations of, of the created order, of manhood and womanhood, of motherhood and fatherhood, of enjoying and delighting in children and in honoring you as our creator and our God. We pray that we would live before you in honor. Father, bless our time in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I, I think that, that honoring of parents and, and honoring of, of mothers in particular, uh, I kind of have this image of two elevators passing um, uh, each other in, in, the, in the elevator shaft, right? As a, as a kid, you're told to honor your mom and you're like, right, okay, I'm going to do that. I get the card, you know, and I'll bring the, the gift. And, and you, you, you kind of don't really, you, you don't understand what you're doing until you're doing it yourself. Does that make sense? Until, until you are the parent and then you're like, oh, right, right. This is the hard work. This is all the sacrifice. Uh, the, the poet laureate of the, or a poet laureate of the United States actually wrote a poem. This is, I'm not a poetry guy. Are you, is anybody a poetry guy? Anybody a poetry gal? Does anybody love poetry? Yes, look at you. Um, I don't get it. I don't get poetry. But I heard this, the poet laureate of the United States reading a poem one day on the radio, and I thought, that is the greatest and best poem ever written. I love it. And this, we're talking non-biblical poems. So I'm going to read this poem, paid for by your taxpayer money, um, by the poet laureate of the United States. You may not have known that we had one. Laureate means... Uh, greatest poet in America or something. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to move on. I'm going to read the poem. This poem is called, Thank You, Sweetheart. Thank you very much. You look nice today. Um, the, poet is called, the poem is called The Lanyard. This is written by, by Billy Collins, poet laureate of the United States. He says, The other day as I was ricocheting slowly off the blue walls of this room, bouncing from typewriter to piano, from bookshelf, to an envelope lying on the floor, I found myself in the L section of the dictionary where my eyes fell upon the word lanyard. 
No cookie nibbled by a French novelist could send one more suddenly into the past. A past where I sat at a workbench at a camp by a deep Adirondack lake, learning how to braid thin plastic strips into a lanyard, a gift for my mother. I had never seen anyone use a lanyard or wear one if that's what you did with them, but that did not keep me from crossing strand over strand again and again until I had made a boxy red and white lanyard for my mother. She gave me life and nursed me, and I gave her a lanyard. She nursed me in many a sick room, lifted teaspoons of medicine to my lips, set cold face cloths on my forehead, then led me out into the airy light and taught me to walk and swim, and I in turn presented her with a lanyard. Here are thousands of meals, she said, and here is clothing and a good education, and here is your lanyard, I replied, which I made with a little help from a counselor. Here is a breathing body and a beating heart, strong legs, bones, and teeth, and two clear eyes to read the world, she whispered. And here, I said, is the lanyard I made at camp. And here, I wish to say to her now, is a smaller gift, not the archaic truth that you can never repay your mother but the rueful admission that when she took the two-toned lanyard from my hands, I was as sure as a boy could be that this useless, worthless thing I wove out of boredom would be enough to make us even. We don't really know what we've got in our, in our moms, in our, in our parents, until we're, we're doing it ourselves, right? Do, do, you feel that? Um, we grow up right now, those of us who, uh, who, are, who are, um, are experiencing American culture, we're, we're growing up in a, in a time, in a, in a day of disrespect, I think, for the institution of parenting. Uh, now, if you, if, you, if you go out into the culture right now, everything is, is honor mom and, and get her flowers and and, and get the card and, and honor mom, but, but in a week we'll be, we'll be past that. We'll be on to, to producing a great society and dealing with world problems and, and consulting presidents and kings and congressmen and senators with, with our problems and saying, save us, and not looking to the base of foundation, not look, the, the foundation of our society and our culture, and not saying that, that, the, that the solution to our culture's problems and difficulties begins at home. I want to I take a couple moments and look at the, the prayer of Hannah and to consider this morning uh, what should come out of the home. What, what should the home be like? What should uh, the heart of mom, what should the, the, the prayers of dad, what should the, the material being absorbed by the children look like? Because I think we live 
in a, in a time right now where there's a great deg degree of uncertainty. I think that, that, that people are struggling financially, they're struggling morally, they're struggling uh, with a, a sense of, of identity, who they are in their culture. And so this morning, I just want to bring it all home. I want to look at a woman from the scripture who I think knows what it is all about. Uh, Hannah grew up in the time of the judges, which I believe is a world that looks a lot like ours. Uh, there is a compromised history there in the scriptures when, when the, the people had come onto the land, they had taken over the land, but they failed to fully uh, rid the land of the, the negative influences of uh, the, the tribes who were already on the land, the Philistines and other people. And, uh, and so they began to intermix and intermarry with them and they began to worship they are gods. And so what we find in this period of the judges, this, is, this occurs three times in the book of Judges, that there was no king in Israel during those times, and everyone did what was right in their eyes. Doesn't that second clause of that sentence describe America today? Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And so you find a man like Gideon, a man who who seems to, to have it all together and seems to know that he's supposed to serve the Lord in a particular way. You know, remember, he, um, he sets out the fleece that's going to be wet and the ground around is going to be dry and then the fleece that's going to be, uh, I can't ever, I say one and then I forget the other, but he, he puts out two fleeces and then he goes and he attacks the Midianites and he, they, they sneak attack at night with a triple division of forces and there's noise and light and, 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 and he overthrows and wins a great victory. And yet, as soon as Gideon does that, he, he wins this mighty victory in the name of the Lord and the strength of the Lord. He then turns around and lives a good portion of his life in a way that would not please the Lord. You can read about that in the book of Judges. I'm not going to go into the details. Uh, you've got Samson who is, who is raised to, to serve the Lord and he's, he's got this, this noble, godly upbringing and he's set aside as a Nazarite and yet he lives an incredibly loose life morally. Time is, is full of gross idolatry and gross immorality, and yet there is a godly remnant. Hannah is a, a woman in a, in a bad situation. She is in a polygamous marriage. Uh, the other wife in the marriage, Peninnah, has kids. Hannah does not. Hannah desires children. This, this rival wife, Peninnah, picks on her and... and, and, and uh, exploits the fact that she has no children and drives her to despair. And her husband loves her, but uh, he's a bit of a dunce, right? We could, we could write down things that, uh, that he says in like, you know, just, just, just think about the, the driving principle behind what he says and, and, and put that in the category of never do this as a husband. Um, she has no children. Her rival does have children. And, and he says, he says, what? What is it? Am I not better to you? Don't I care for you? Am I not better to you than 10 sons? You can see her running from the table to her room on Mother's Day, right? You know, this guy does not understand. That's it as far as I've got jokes. Poem. That's it. You guys didn't laugh. Moving on. Uh, she prays to the Lord then. She says, Lord, if you will give me a son, 
I will give him to you. This is the the desire of my heart to to fulfill this role which you have given me and to, to fulfill my covenant obligation to you under the, the covenant that you've made with us. We've, we've got this worship. We have your law. I want to obey what's written in your word. I want to raise this child to serve you. And if you give him to me, then I will give him to you. Now, she prays this prayer at the tabernacle. And again, remember I said that this is a time of great moral failure and confusion in Israel. The high priest, Eli, at the time sees her praying and she's not saying words. Maybe she's saying them very quietly. She's praying and her lips are moving. And he goes up to her and he says, hey, drunk lady, right? He just assumes, he's probably not seen someone praying fervently. He just assumes that she's wasted. And he says, get out of here, you know, and she says, no, 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 she says, I'm, I'm praying earnestly, and she explains the content of her prayers, and the priest, the high priest is then like, oh, okay, you know, you're not like the usual kind of person who comes here, um, and then he shifts into priest mode, and, and he says, may the Lord answer your petition, he blesses her, great time of, of moral confusion, we look out on our culture, we see government in distress and the family in distress and if you look for just four seconds on the internet you can find churches and Christians in the midst of of intense failure all over the place and and we think what's become of our society we've been here before in world history we've been here Things things have been this bad so don't despair don't lose hope Things change in the Bible when babies are born. If you, you think about the story of the Exodus, what, is it, what does it begin with? Uh, uh, the, the, the Jews go down into Egypt and they are made captive by a wicked Pharaoh. And then how does the story go? And then a baby is born named Moses. That's the beginning of the, the change. The entire world was lost in sin and, and not a single human being could do anything to please and to honor God in a way that, that would earn them anything other than condemnation and so God sent an angel to a young girl and he said the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and what is conceived in your womb will be from God. You'll give birth to a son and you'll call him Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. When children are born in the scriptures, things change. It begins with motherhood. And so a boy is born. He's named Samuel. Why? Because she asked for him from the Lord. When Nancy and I did not think that we could have children, uh, we, were, we were wondering about what would happen. She said, we should name him Samuel. And I said, okay, why? And she said, because I asked for him from the Lord. And I, I, I thought that is deep and spiritual and profound. And, I, and I, I respected and loved that. And then I looked through the scriptures and it came to the point where Saul has not killed King Agag like he's supposed to. And Samuel comes up and says, what is this that you've, you've done? Why have you not obeyed the Lord? And he says, I have obeyed the Lord. And he says, what then is this 
the bleeding of the sheep that have not been destroyed, and, and Agag has not been killed, and he takes out his sword, and he, he cuts him in pieces, Agag the king. And I was like, this is what Samuel does. And I was like, that's a good name. Let's do that. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I didn't get to name any of my kids Maharshala Lashbaz, which is my favorite Bible name. Um, I am sure that Samuel is happy that that did not happen to him. She names the child Samuel. Uh, he is weaned, and then she brings him back up to the temple. Now, just think, think about this a minute. I've, I've, I've belabored the point about the moral failure of the, the culture uh, because, because I, want, I want you to be sure about well, what I'm going to say next, okay? Uh, Eli's sons have grown as Samuel has grown, and his sons are worthless men. So, so the high priest and his assistants are, are not good guys. They steal the offering while the, the meat is on the fire cooking. They, they come along, and they before it gets well done, which is how the Lord likes it, you know, burnt up as the aroma goes forward, when it's, when it's medium rare, which is like the perfect cut of meat. I don't get American restaurants where they're like, is medium good enough? And I'm like, did you ask? Ask me what temperature I wanted my meat. I want it medium rare. And they're like, how about medium? No. You know? You eat it. Anyway, so they come along, and when the meat is to their, to their liking, they, they, they fish it off of the altar. And then they go and they eat it themselves. And they, they take advantage of the worshipers. And, and though Eli rebukes them, he never removes them from the priesthood. And Hannah keeps her promise, and she brings this precious little boy, three years old, who's been weaned. She dresses him in a little priest costume, little ephod she makes for him, and she brings him up to the temple, and she says to Eli, the Lord has fulfilled his word, and I, I, I bring him to the Lord to serve him. And I think this is what would scare us. She left him there. This is, this is the, the crazy part. We'll talk about that in just a second. But, but the verse that describes her leaving him there in, in chapter 1 says that he worshipped the Lord there. He worshipped the Lord. He, he stood in the tabernacle as a, as a little priest and he served and he, he put the bread out on the, the table of the bread and he, he, he lit the incense and he, he stayed in the tabernacle serving. Now, let's just admit for a second that this is a crazy way to parent today, okay? That, that you ought not to do this. You ought not to, to find the worst church, this, some abusive pastor and his, his wicked deacons or elders and where, where nothing's going right and they're taking advantage of the people. You ought not to say, Lord, if you give me a child, I will leave my child in the custody of that church. That is not a way to work. That, 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 that No mom should do that, ought to do that. Don't draw that meaning from this story. And yet, there is a deep meaning in this story because how the priesthood went and how the temple, the tabernacle operated shaped the nation of Israel. And Hannah worked according to the means given to her. The place where the people were to worship was in the tabernacle. That is where the visible presence of God dwelt at the time. He, he, he lived in presence above 
the, the cherubim, the angels on the Ark of the Covenant, which is the deal, the bargain, the arrangement that God made with Israel. And they would bring the blood into the, the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement every year, and God's anger towards the people for violating the commandments of the covenant would be obscured by the perfect blood of that innocent animal poured out on the lid. The Lord was there, and she brought Samuel there to be in the presence of the Lord and to be with the Lord and to learn from the Lord. And then... As she leaves, she prays again. And I want to I take a couple moments and look at her prayer and, and think about her theology, her view of God, and think about how that should shape and affect our lives and homes today. You'll notice three aspects of her prayer. You may notice more. I have noticed three. Um, and, uh, and so we're just going to split this up into three. Uh, one, she had a great view of God. She had a great view of God, not like a Tony the Tiger, their great kind of view of God, but like a, a massive, enormous, as Hank would say about anything which is larger than himself, a ginormous view of God. Uh, she had a transcendent, incredible view of who God is. Notice what it says here. She prays and says, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. You might think that is strange. Does Hannah have horns? That's bizarre. Um, a horn is a symbol of, of kingship or of, of rulership on animals, right? If you, if you had, saw an animal out in the, the wild and that animal had antlers or horns, right? You would probably think like, stay away from those things. They are sharp and pointy and you would be smart to do that. Um, the, the most dangerous animal in Zambia, right, where, where we go on safari, uh, is the wildebeest, right, or the, sorry, the Cape buffalo, which he kind of looks like a cow, and I don't know, I don't, generally do not feel at danger or threatened by, when I, when I take Hank to daycare, I drive by this little field, uh, Lucky Coin, Lost Coin Farm, yeah, and there are these passive bull cow, whatever they are. If you're a farmer, you're laughing at my use of terminology. And they're just kind of hanging out there. And I'm like, I am not scared. And, and wildebeest look, I mean, Cape Buffalo look kind of just like that. But they've got these massive, huge horns, like as big as my arms. And they're like, do not go near them. Do not go near, like they will tear you to shreds. Uh, the, the, the horn, the animal's weapon is a, is a symbol of, of natural strength. You'll see this image show up again in, in verse 10, how God will exalt the horn, the strength of his anointed. Her heart exalts in the Lord, and her strength, her horn, is exalted in the Lord. She has a proper view of God here. She understands that, that she relates to God as the moon relates to the sun, that, that she is in orbit around him and that she receives her fullness and her meaning and her power from the Lord and that nothing is her own. Psalm 28, verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks 
to him. Hannah enjoys God. Hannah delights in the Lord and she sees him as good and delightful. This is so important, I think. Many times it's it's possible for us to slip into this mode of relating to God where we see God not as a as a person, not as our father to be enjoyed and to be honored and respected, but we see God as a as a convenience, as a as a means of avoiding trouble, right? We we see God is that thing that you can purchase in your local office supply store, the easy button, right? Where, where we're, we're just like, oh, I'm so frustrated with the fact that, that, that I can't get this to work. I know what I'll do. I'll pray and God will fix it, right? Where is God? Where is my solution? Fix it. And we, and we, and we push on the easy button and, and we treat God as if he is another means to an end, like humor or attractiveness or money or the gift of gab like those are tools which we keep in our arsenal in varying different degrees uh, depending on on who we are Um, and we think we've got God here when all else fails we'll just bring in the Lord we'll pray instead we ought to see our lives lived in the, in the sight of God, lived for the glory of God, lived around the goodness with which he created us and the, that, that which he prepared us for. We ought to enjoy him, and she does. She also has a, a right view of, of the transcendent nature of God and his uniqueness. She says in verse 2, there is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. She sees the uniqueness of the Lord. She identifies his holiness, how he is completely other and how all that he does is right. And she sees his reliability. He's like a rock. The, The ground will not shift underneath her because she has built her life on a firm foundation. She draws these truths out of what she knows of God's word. And so her theology is this, that she as a person ought to be humble and all around her ought to be humble as well. She says, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The fear of the Lord constrains her. It, it, it hems in her behavior. She doesn't treat the Lord as, as the, the means of forgiveness or rightness. Like, I can just do whatever I want and then go to the Lord and receive forgiveness. No, instead, she says, because of the goodness and greatness and holiness of the Lord, I will serve him in the way in which he calls me to. It's not just a matter of intellect. Her belief affects her action. She's humble in the sight of the Lord. Second, notice that she was greatly comforted in the Lord. Greatly comforted in the knowledge that justice would prevail. This is verses 4 through 8. You see a set of contrasts here. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for bread. But those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. This is perhaps herself here. 
thinking of, of what the Lord might do. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. Notice that this is, this is not a matter of, of those who do good get good, or those who, who don't live right get what they have taken away from them, as much as, as, as the natural advantages or the, the, the self-actualization, the, the, the strength, of those who think that they are advantaged before the Lord does not always prove to be the advantage that they thought it would be. The mightiest warrior, when his bowstring snaps, he is disabled. And that is in the hand of the Lord. The feeble, she says, are able to go to the Lord and say, strengthen me and he will be there for him. He will help them. The barren has borne seven. She who has many children, perhaps she's thinking of her rival here, she may have much, but her character is nasty. And she is forlorn in the sight of the Lord. There's another set of contrasts. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. The tender kindness of God here. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. This is not necessarily saying that these are things which will happen in this life. As far as we know, Hannah never becomes a a pretty, pretty princess and gets to live in a castle and have servants helping her. You know, little birdies don't fly around and, and dress her and bring her food, you know. She remains poor, and and beyond this scene, she never shows back up again in the Bible. But she knows that the Lord is her help. He makes her spiritually rich. Out of the poverty of her soul, she finds riches from the Lord. The Lord, I believe, is not so foolish as to make those of us who would consider ourselves poor in the eyes of the world, rich in the eyes of the world, because he knows that our sinful hearts will conclude that we no longer need him. She realizes here that whether her hand is empty or full, if she has the Lord, that she is rich. She sees the Lord as the real treasure. When Samuel looks at the world... When he looks at his mom, he will see the difference. And then Hannah concludes with a moral challenge for her enemies. I appreciate the fact that she is not vindictive and spiteful here. She she as she is she is throwing down at all who would oppose this God whom whom she worships. She issues a call for people to come to the Lord. She says, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. Come to the Lord. Be faithful to him. She points out the fact that God will help and care for those who repent and come to him. He'll guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. She promises judgment here. What parent does not teach their child in the home that there will be consequences for wickedness, that there will be consequences for breaking the law, that there will be 
natural consequences that will come upon them if they don't do things like look to the right and then to the left before they cross the street. Judgment comes. We need to be careful to follow the laws, both the laws of nature and the laws of the Lord. She says that against the adversaries of the Lord, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. I think that, that Hannah, in her prayer here, which Samuel was well enough aware of, someone was well enough aware of, to, to, to write down and to consolidate so that it would be preserved in Scripture. So, so I don't think that she just abandoned him and like never saw him just once a year. I think that, that he had regular fellowship with his mom. But I think that we draw from, from this prayer here that a mom's responsibility, that a parent's responsibility is to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, and then to live their life out of that moral awareness. I was, I was listening to a, a radio show that I enjoy. You can get it uh, on your phone if you want. It's called The Briefing by the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Uh, we listen to it every day on the, the, the ride to the bus. I listen to it with my kids. Um, and Dr. Moeller was saying that, that someone is, is actually discussing the fact that children who are raised in homes with parents who care for them and love for them are at an unfair advantage. Now, now you, might, you might hear that and think, like, what in the world is that all about? But let me, let me just say something to you for a moment. Okay, I'm listening, I'm listening to this other radio show. I drive a whole bunch, it seems, so I like to listen uh, to, to all kinds of people talking about all kinds of things. And I was listening to this show where this guy is trying to start a company. And the formula for starting a company, that he's told, is, is to get good people behind him, to have a compelling vision for what he's trying to do, to have a unique kind of a product. And then he says, but the secret ingredient is this. He says, what is your unfair advantage? The guy who's trying to start this company is pretty famous, you know, a lot of people know him in his business. He's always been kind of a, a second in command, and now he's launching out on his own. And this is what the guy tells him. He says, that is going to be what's going to get you ahead. So exploit your unfair advantage. Because all these other people who are trying to launch out into your business field don't have anything on you. You can, you can trounce them. You can, you can take the field because you have the unfair advantage. And so a researcher looking at the world and at the decay of American culture and, and perhaps at, at all the poverty and all the struggle in the world says this, when it comes to being a human, those who have parents who care for them, who teach them and who love them and who point them to the Lord, I'm adding this, this is what the researcher says, they have an unfair advantage. Parents, you ought to exploit that. You have this time with your children to point them to the Lord. They may not always receive it, but it's our job as parents to demonstrate to children who the Lord is, to show them 
success and failure, to show them both holiness and repentance, we're not always going to do well, but we can admit when we have done wrong. Hannah displays a theology here which is compelling and which is good and which is honest before her family. I was going to say a whole lot about government and liberals and conservatives. That was another joke. Um, <laughs> but I, I want to say this. We, we live in a culture that, that, that loves science, that loves research and loves facts and loves details and says things like science says. And, 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 and I think that the older I get, the more it seems like my circumstances bump me up against the limitations of science. Um, I had a doctor recently tell my wife and I, this is not just some slouch doctor. Um, this is like a doctor, like, you know. He said the limits of our, he said, he said the, the, the limits of our present awareness of medical knowledge. He said we, we, we still have to confess that our, our medical knowledge is very primitive. I was like, good for you, man. If I had a gold star, I'd be like, you understand that you are a creature created by a God that you cannot under, just understand. Um, science, knowledge can tell us how to make a bomb, but not whether or not we should use it. We need to realize that, that, that morality is learned in the home and that, and that morality, the sense of right and wrong, flows from our, our awareness of what we see our parents doing and not doing, what they correct and what they affirm. And I believe that, that Hannah would, would demonstrate from the scriptures that, that strength flows not from her moral perfection, but from living in the light of God's goodness and grace. Look at what it says in verse 9. I'm going to say this and say one more thing, and I'm going to close. Okay, that's the road forward. She's talking about the goodness and greatness of God and the call to come to the Lord. She says that God will guard the feet of his faithful ones. The wicked will be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. In the era of the judges, they were promised that if they held tightly to the Lord, Joshua 23, verse 10, that one man from among them would have put to flight a thousand, because it is the Lord who fights for you. It's the Lord who fought for them. Judges 16, verse 17, speaking about Samson, a man who was tremendously blessed by the Lord, who had incredible ability. He had been blessed upon blessing when it came to serving the Lord, and yet he knew so little about God. What he says in verse 17 of Judges 16 is that if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me. Really? You think that your strength comes from from some magic trick having to do with your hair? Are you from the planet Krypton? You know? What, what? And you may read the text and say, well, you know, that's what it said. It said, let no razor touch his head. But, but look at the Bible itself. He's in the, in the midst of, of this morally compromising situation, running from the will of God and, and not walking in holiness. And, and this woman who he's, he's living with, 
Delilah is, is putting him through these, these situations where she's tormenting him and she says to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awakes from his sleep and he says presumptuously, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free, right? This is, this is after his head has been completely shaved. But it says here, he did not know that the Lord had left him. Do you see that? Hannah's secret, and I think the secret of, of a life that was necessary for this time, 1 Samuel 3.19 says, Samuel grew, the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. He, he called the people to return to the Lord and to repent and to, and to bring their lives back into alignment with the Lord. The secret was the fact that she taught Samuel, she displayed to him with her life that he was to live his life in the light of the Lord. And to live a life consistent with God's word. Moms and dads have an opportunity to display how to live the Christian life. I'm not talking about moral perfection, so, so please don't hear this as, as me piling a ton of rocks on top of your you know, your self-esteem or whatever it is this morning. Don't be like, oh, burdensome, you know. Parenting is already so hard. Your children need to know how to deal with moral failure. They need to learn how to repent and to confess. They need to learn how to bear up under temptation. They need to learn how to, how to stay away from wicked people and how to, how to identify good and godly people. And so much of that just comes from them being in the presence of the Lord, of going to Sunday school and of showing up and hearing sermons and being read the word and being told, I'm praying for you and this is what I'm praying for you. Over and over just demonstrating to them what they need to know about the Lord. The scriptures say, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And so let me, let me draw this to a close with Hannah's model for world evangelization. She brought her child into the presence of the Lord. That's what she did. That's what she did. There's no, there's no incredible secret here. It doesn't say prayer the pray of pray the prayer of Jabez like once a day for your kid. There's no like, you know, here's this this mysterious parenting formula. There's none of that. She just she brought her child to the Lord. And so as parents, we ought to realize that what our children need to know is that everyone is a sinner, that we all need Christ, that we're all lifelong learners, we're all continually repenting from the sinful things that we do. We come to the Lord and we ask for forgiveness and on the basis of what Christ has done for us, God forgives us. And then we go and we live lives of repentant holiness, serving the Lord in the way that he's created us. Psalm 102 verse 18 says, let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. Here's how I'm going to end it. Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 15 
with this, these words. And I think these are fitting words to encourage moms not to give up in the midst of frustration, to urge dads to keep at it, to urge grandparents to be active and involved in, in bringing your grandchildren to the Lord, and, and, and also to keep us walking in the light of the goodness of the Lord with relation to all of those whom God has blessed us to have in our family as a church. Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us, with with hearts like Hannah, bring our children to the Lord regularly. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here. We, We thank you for the example from the scriptures and we pray that that we would be faithful to be sharing your word and to be to be talking as the scripture says as we go along our way and to be pointing out that which is good and that which is bad Our, our children are given to us for a time and they look to us as examples May we be those who give example, Lord, of how to live holy lives and also how to repent when we've done wrong. And may we be humble enough to admit it. May we be humble enough to reach out to others for help and to demonstrate that that no person can do it all on their own. And may we call out to you in times of need and teach our children that we do that, that they might know where to go for strength when they struggle. May we not fall for the lie which is so prevalent in America that a person can be perfect on their own. But may we see ourselves as connected to you and needing your help. Father, may we come to you Come to Christ for all that we need. We pray that our our children would glorify you as they see us glorifying you in our lives. We pray this, Lord, in the precious and sweet name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.